Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word. Let's do this. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. It's always a great time listening to your word. And we're about to do that. We want to learn from you. We want to grow. We want to be equipped. We want to be strengthened. Um, so Lord, take over. Take over from here on out. Um, shield all weaknesses with strength. And let everyone's heart be open to receive everything that you have for them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, welcome again to Bible Marathon. We are talking about holiness. This month has been devoted and dedicated to the theme, holiness. And we had a very nice session last week with Sandra, who, you know, basically told us, first of all, how we ought to see holiness, that holiness is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's something to desire. It's something to look for because God commands it. Um, but then we want to go a little deeper today and build on our theology of holiness. All right. So um, what do I mean by that? There is a theology. There is a deep understanding we have to keep in our hearts in order to really um, walk in the Christian life. There's, there's a life God has called us to, and he wants us to have the right knowledge. I said it yesterday, or was it uh, Friday, when I said, um, your, probably last week Sunday too, your worship of God is only as good as your knowledge of God. It's what you know about him that informs your worship. And so it's important that you know him, you know God intimately. We're doing that this month. We're trying to learn about one of the core attributes of God. And that's what we're doing particularly today. So we have the vast understanding of the holiness, uh, of holiness, right? A very, very vast understanding. But we want to now narrow it down and answer the question of, you know, what does it mean for God to be holy? Or in other words, what's the holiness of God? And today's teaching is themed holy, holy, holy. All right, so I'm, I want you to pay attention. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not going to do this alone. I'm doing this with the help of one of us here. All right, so just without wasting any time, I want you guys to put your hands together in BMG fashion for Lillian Marquis right now, if you can. Woo, Lillian! Woo! Lillian! All right, so Lillian is family. She's been here. I mean, she's been here way longer than many of you guys, yeah, actually. Um, so I just want you guys to pay attention. I mean, I do more of the speaking, um, but I want this to be as interactive because when it comes to theological words like holiness, righteousness, um, redemption, all those things, I like to remove the complexity in those words and just simplify it. It's super important that we have that mindset when it comes to topics like this. But before we start, I want to play a video. So I want you guys to listen carefully to that video. You're going to hear three powerful preachers say something about holiness. And I want that to prepare your minds for what we're going to say moving forward. So pay close attention, all right? So here we go. Lillian, how are you doing? You good? Yep, I'm doing good. Awesome. All right. So let's go. Um, I want to be sure you guys can see and hear. All right, so we're going to start. So pay, pay close attention, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one attribute of God. Ernest, you're sharing the wrong screen. Resting your notes. All your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me share the right screen this time. There we go. Yeah, now it's right. Is this the right one now? Yes. Super. Yes. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there is only just imagine if I was watching football, guys. <laughs> okay, let me just play again. We'll start again. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one attribute of God that is ever raised to the third degree of repetition in Scripture. There is only one characteristic of Almighty God that is communicated in the superlative degree from the mouths of angels where the Bible doesn't simply say that God is holy or even that he's holy, holy, but that he is holy, holy, holy. The Bible doesn't say that God is mercy, 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 or love, 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 or justice, 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 or wrath, 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 but that he is holy, holy, holy. Who am I that I should have been the object of his mercy? I don't know why me, because if I look for a motive within me for why me, all I discover is my sinfulness. And as I contemplate his holiness, I become more aware of my sinfulness. And as I contemplate his holiness and my sinfulness, then I become more aware that I richly deserve his righteous wrath in light of his holiness against my sinfulness. And I richly deserve his righteous wrath for an eternity in hell because of my sinfulness. Your view of sin would change if he gave you a passion for the holiness of God. You would no longer think in terms of sin as the damaging of man, but as the dishonoring of God. You would no longer think of sin as the choice of pleasure, but the loss of pleasure. You would think, the righteousness of God is his unswerving allegiance to always be right by himself, that is to exalt what is infinitely worthy, namely his holiness and his glory. This is a dimension of God that consumes his very essence. And when it is manifest to Isaiah, we read that at the sound of the voices of the seraphim, the doorposts, the thresholds of the temple itself shook and began to tremble. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high, lifted up, seated upon a throne, and his train, the train of his robe, filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And with two they covered their face. And with two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one cried to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at that voice, the threshold of the temple shook. Do you hear that? Inanimate, lifeless unintelligible parts of creation in the presence of the manifestation of the holiness of God had the good sense to be moved. How can we, made in his image, be indifferent or apathetic to his majesty? God alone is holy. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen. Amen. Awesome. So I think what I want to do is just hear from you guys. What did you learn or what did you hear? Just one thing that you picked from what you just watched right now. It was a sermon jam of three amazing preachers of the gospel, Mahaney, um, Sproul, and Piper. And... Um, I'm telling you, they're not the only ones that speak on the holiness of God, but they're one of the, some of the few that, you know, have such a deep work done when it comes to this topic. Um, so yeah, let's start seeing responses from you guys. Um, if I could say something, um, yeah. I think one thing that struck me most was that like, 
Um, I think who's the last one that spoke? Uh, Mahini. Uh, Mahini. How like inanimate objects were moved at the holiness of God. So why not we like who are created in his image, the Imago Day, like how can we not be moved by his holiness? Mm-hmm. I was like that, well, that, that shook me. Thank you for slapping me. I will pick up my wig from the floor. Thank you. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. So how, if inanimate objects are responding to God, how much more us, right? Awesome. Anyone else? Yeah, so, um, okay. so it was how that nothing else was spoken of God in the superlative degree except his holiness. And it's like, his holiness is like the most important attribute or the attribute from which every other thing takes, you know, except from, that was Awesome, awesome. Um, I see one from uh, Mixilar. So that's Chinea. She says, sin is the dishonoring of God. Okay, she picked that from the same thing. Um, Let me see. Okay, it seems practicable, practically impossible for us to be holy with the way it was described and angels and objects responded to his holiness. Okay, I think I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, so basically, the practically speaking, like you don't have it in yourself to be holy, right? It, it's something that has to either be granted you or something that, you know, and we're going to talk a lot more about it today. So that's why I really like that we're starting with this video. Um, Lillian is also going to help me a whole lot today here. Let me read one more and then we'll get into it. Um, okay, she already spoke about it. She said, nothing else was spoken of God in the superlative degree except his holiness. So you don't see any other attribute of God, you know, um, in, in three scion, or that's the, the theological word, three scion, to use the word three times to express the grand, grandiose nature of that thing. So nice, nice feedback from everyone. I'm so glad. Um, so I want to just start. I'm going to let Lillian jump in here um, just a little bit. Like, why would this be a topic to discuss and really understand? Just in your, from your own perspective, why is this important? Why should we discuss the holiness of God? Um, well, like how, like it was discussed before, um, holiness is one of the major attributes of God, if not the most important one. Um, and it is, mm, I would say that it almost defines the difference between humans and earthly things and God. It's the most, like the 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 descriptor that defines the difference between humans and God. Yeah, amen to that. So, so I think basically it's the idea that we're um, is a particular class of being, and there is God, a different class of being, and holiness is that clear distinction. Right, that's what Lillian is trying to say here, and and I think we don't want to jump too far and make assumptions that we understand the meaning of the word holy or holiness. So let's do um, a Bible study together. Who's with me here? If you've been on Bible Marathon, you guys know how to do this. So what's the first thing when you see a word, you know, that you want to know the meaning of? What are the things you could do to know that word and what it means? Feel free to, this is interactive, guys, because I really want to hear feedback. So what if you find a word, mm-hmm. go ahead. That word was first mentioned, like the first place was used. Like- so let me put that down. The law of first mention, where was the word first used in scripture? That gives us a lot of insight into, into that word. Okay, good. So let's let's talk about first mention a little bit, and then we'll hear what others have to say. But if you have more things to say, type it in the chat. So the law of first mention, where is the word first used in the Bible? It's used in 
um, Exodus chapter 3. But how would you find it? How would you find it? I mean, you could do it the manual way, right? You go to your Bible, you know, verse by verse. And if you have enough time, you finally get there. Um, but, oh, hi. Um, we have a second timer here. Welcome back. We're going to welcome you specially at the end. So don't don't run away. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we see the first time. And where, who can read Exodus chapter 3 from verse 5 real quick? That's a lot of first mention. So we want to see how the word is used in the first place. Let me pull up and share my screen. Go ahead. You can un unmute yourself if you want to speak. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet out of respect because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Right. Um, just to be sure, your name is Kunle, right? Um, the young man. Hi. You just muted yourself. I wanted to say hi to you. Let me help you out. Oh, you're typing. You can speak. Feel free to speak. How are you doing? Hi, sir. Awesome. You wanted to say something, right? I wanted to read Okay, I want you to read it, actually. I'm going to put it up again. And I want you to read um, Exodus chapter 3 from verse 5. Uh, let's see. Oh, you have it. If you have it with you in your Bible, you can go ahead and read, okay? Not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Awesome. Thank you. So that's not the end, right? Finish it up. That's it. It is? Yes. Well, okay, yeah, that's the end there. Five. All right, so let me put it up on the screen. And I think I'm just doing this so that everyone knows how to, like, study scripture and how to get the meaning. So the first thing we see is what Kuni read for us, right? This is happening right in front of Moses. He sees the burning bush. Many of us know this story. And he, something draws his attention. He says, I want to see what is burning here. And so he goes, am I sharing the right screen this time? Okay. <laughs> and then he goes and he sees this tree that is burning, but is not consumed. And he goes closer and then he hears this from a voice. Don't come near. And then the, notice he says, Take off your sandals off your take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. So the first time we see the word used, it is used to describe an inanimate object. So that already tells us something, right? So if someone were to say holiness means purity and moral uprightness, I would ask a follow-up question. Can the ground have moral uprightness? You see? So that's the law of first mention. That helps you um, to know how to define a word. So let's go back. Someone else said, um, check when it was first used and how it was used. We just did that. So awesome. Nice praise. Um, Daniel says, discern the context it's used in. What was the original word and how it was used? Yes. Perfect. Okay. So you guys are on track. Then someone else said, Context, right? Read the previous verse. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys have it together. Um, then someone said concordances. So a concordance basically is like a dictionary, a Bible dictionary that tells you the word and gives you the where the word was, you know, translated from in a way. So like the um, like the Strong's concordance would give you the Hebrew word for holy, and the Hebrew word there is kodesh. All right, Q-O-D-E-S-H. I'm spelling it the wrong way. I think Lillian can do a better job um, because, oh yeah, by the way, wait, Lillian, you know a little Hebrew, don't you? Yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. All right, so um, Kadosh, right? And many of you will now realize, oh, I've been singing this song, Kadosh, and you didn't know that's what it meant. Now you know, so clap for yourselves. <laughs> All right, but that is the first thing we see of this word. But just not, to, I don't want to spend too much time. I want to give you a list of how this word is used in multiple places all through scripture. And then we'll try to see if we can define the word 
holy. Is that okay? So let's do that. So you see the word, um, first one is holy ground. You see, yes, yeah, yes, that's correct. Holy ground, holy convocation, holy habitation, holy nation, holy men, holy garments. Think about that, like clothes too are holy. Holy gifts. You can find that in Exodus 28. Um, holy anointing oil. By the way, I want to do a, a quick um, deviation as I usually do. Let's go to Exodus 30 because I know a lot of people talk about the anointing oil. And I think it's something we need to, to discuss. This is Bible Marathon, so we pick up all these things. Um, Exodus chapter 30. And we're going to look at um, verse 31. Let's see. All right. So let me put this up. This There's a whole backstory to this, by the way. But I want you guys to see something that most people just miss when it comes to this talk of anointing oil. Because, we, you know, a lot of people are like, how many of you have, and, and I have to be careful here because I have people listening to me for the first time. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But how many of you have parents who are like, you're going to school, right? And they give you this big jug of anointing oil, you know, and they say, go and, <laughs> okay, I'm not the only one here. Awesome. And they're like, you know, anytime you want to write your paper or your exam, anoint your pen. If you want to go somewhere, put anointing. It's Some people are like, what are you saying? But yeah. It happens a lot in Nigeria, you know, anoint your dorm, exactly, you know. But the question is, okay, before you do anything as a Christian, you want to ask yourself a very, very important question. What does the Bible really say about this? So even if a pastor tells you to do something or your parents tell you to do something, you should honor them, but you should have a bigger honor and respect for God's word. So let's see how this word is used or what the anointing oil was. So look at this, Exodus chapter 30 from verse 31 to 32. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me. This, what is this? So hold that thought. Throughout your generations, okay, it shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it, <laughs> according to its composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. So now we're seeing anointing oil called holy. But why is it holy? It's a unique thing that nobody else should be able to make and must be used for a particular generation. Now, someone might be asking, I mean, it could be anyone. Like I could go to the market and get olive oil and yes, that's anointing oil. Well, according to this scripture, nope, that's not how it works. Um, what was it made of? You have to scroll all the way up and see the um, chemical composition, I should say, of the oil. And it was very specific stuff that God told them to mix together. Um, and basically, they were supposed to use it to anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them for the work of, you know, the temple. They, they were meant to be uniquely separated so it had specific um, um, spices, specific things mixed into it. If you want to know how it was made, you can go back and, you know, look at the details. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. I just feel like this is Bible Marathon. This is where you learn stuff you probably don't learn every day. So I wanted to take out that time. So look at verse 25. He says you should make from these anointing oil. And then you notice the things that must be there if you look um, before it. 500 shekels of cassia, um, quality spices, liquid myrrh. So the only thing that it, people end up using as anointing oil is olive oil. And that's just one of the things that should be in it. So now, does it mean that if someone gives you oil today and says, you know, use it to pray for someone that nothing supernatural will happen? No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you look at scripture, even the aprons and handkerchiefs of the apostles healed people. That tells you that God's power can flow through things. 
All right. So we don't limit God in that way. But don't think that in itself the oil has any power or any significance. All right. The only holy anointing oil was the one that Exodus 30 talks about. Hope that helps. All right. So let's get back into business. So um, Lillian, do you want to come in here and maybe talk a little bit about how we define the word holy? Um, sure. So um, I'm not sure how many people had um, were taught about the definition of holy when they were younger. Um, um, what usually we're taught is that holy, holy means set apart. And that's true. That's what the that's what the root word means. It means set apart. Um, but from but we can also see that holiness is given because God declares something holy. So for example, with the anointing oil, it's holy anointing oil because God has said that it's holy and he is has made it holy by with it, with his power with his words <clears throat> and so that's that's a very important part of holiness is that it's not only set apart it's made holy by god and that makes it unique and it makes it unearthly right so so think about it this way when god puts his finger on a thing that thing takes the should I say the essence or the aura of God? So nothing is made holy without God first making it holy. That's so important to understand. And it's also as simple as a declaration from God. We've seen so many scriptures. God just, this shall be holy unto me. And it is. You're standing on holy ground and it is. Give the holy tithe and it is. You know, and there's just a lot of things that just show that something can be ordinary, like this pen. And God can say, this pen is now holy. And all of a sudden, I have to treat it differently. <laughs> I have to use it differently because now it has a specific sacred purpose. That's so important to understand. And so when you think of holy, yes, there is purity involved. There is moral excellence involved. But that's not the big picture. The bigger picture is holiness is overarching. It's God putting his essence on a thing and making it separate or cut apart for his use. Are we following so far? All right. It's so important you get this. So that when you see the word holy next time, the thing that comes to your mind is, oh, okay, God has done something to this thing. So if God says you are a holy nation, so you were a nation before, but now you are a holy nation because God has declared you holy. Or Paul is teaching in Ephesians and he calls us holy, blameless, unreprovable. And you look at your life, you're like, uh, I'm not morally excellent. But no, God has called you holy. So he sees you that way. So this is, I think this is revolutionary. This is powerful. What, what do you think? It's, it's mind-blowing. Um, but let's get into one um, scripture that I think many of us know. But I want us to break it down and see, like squeeze out juice from it um, to understand what our response should be when we perceive or when we see the holiness of God. Because we just defined the word holy. But then if we go back to the beginning, which is God himself, we want to see how holiness works. So let's go to Isaiah together. And we're going to do that. I'll... I'll share the explanation with um with Lillian here but let's go all the way to Isaiah chapter 6 we're going to read from verse 1 and I hope you guys have your bibles I know today I'm having some issues with sharing my scriptures but I hope it is still good so I'm going to share my screen I need someone to read this for me um that hasn't read yet so if you're here and you haven't read you want to read um okay let me know all right go ahead yeah in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above it stood seraphim each one had six wings 
with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Powerful. Thank you very much. So there's some key things I want us to see here. All right. So just follow along. But I want you to do something as we discuss this. And as I'm speaking, if there's anything that comes to your mind on this text, Lillian, just feel free to jump in, like, you know, come in here. But I want, you to, I want you to see what's happening here. So the key thing that happens is an event, a historic event, where a king of, in, in the land of Israel died. It was the year King Uzziah died, right? And in that year, something happened that had not happened with Isaiah before. Now, if you don't know Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet of God. Isaiah was someone who walked very closely with God. In fact, historians tell us that he was very like morally upright he was one of the prophets who like was he stayed away from a lot of things he lived very very modest but he was a known and very influential prophet how many of you remember our studies in biblia um i mentioned the major and the minor prophets so isaiah was listed amongst the major prophets um because of the amount of work he did and things he said but i think it even like even transcends that he was really one of the highly reputed prophets of his time and so watch this story i want you to be imaginative right now like think about what this looks like as best as you can all right so he's just on his own and all of a sudden he sees this experience he has this experience it says i saw the lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. So it's not just the throne, but he's high and lifted and he's there. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So he saw this being and he knew that this was the Lord right away, sitting on a highly exalted throne. And the train, basically think of like, I mean, the closest to a train would be, you know, those people who have like big weddings and the bride wears this very long, big gown that like 500 people have to carry the <laughs> carry the, the train. That's what this looks like. But now it's the train of, a, of this being, this Lord. And he's filling the whole temple. So he's in the temple and he sees everything filled with this train. So that is the presence of God, very tangible there. And then above it, so picture that above the throne, stood seraphim and you may be wondering what is seraphim so in this in the in the heavenly realms there are many beings i know like we, tv has messed up things for us when we think of heaven we're thinking you know angels that just have wings and they're just flying and that's all that is in heaven but the bible is so clear if you read the book of revelation if you read in the book of job you read um, isaiah you know you see more than just very heavily winged angels right you see even bigger than that so they're creatures you know um go read revelation i don't want to go in there but it, it's there's a lot of activity in heaven different kinds of beings and so some of the beings that exist there are what we call the seraphim we have the cherubim and they all look very interesting so if you've ever thought that angels in heaven are those small babies with cupids and arrows and stuff yeah, you messed, you're messed up in your head with that. You have to take that out, renew your mind, and see what the word <laughs> says. All right. Um, do you want to add anything so far, though? Because we're going, like, like verse by verse. Do you want to add anything, Lillian, just from that portion? Yeah, so I think what you meant to say at the beginning was the significance of the timing, which was it was when King Uzziah died. And I don't remember exactly the details, but I think he was one of the more righteous kings. Right. Um, right. And um, so at the time that this happened, it was as though Isaiah was, God was showing Isaiah that he was the real king and he was truly the king over, um, over the whole earth. Um, hmm. So I think that's what you meant to mention at the beginning. Right. Thank you. Thanks for that. So, 
we see that imagery so far. And then this seraphim has six wings. First of all, that is very hard to imagine, but you can try. Six wings. And then with two of them, he covered his face. So imagine six wings, two of them covering the face. Who can tell me why that would be significant? Why would an angel or a heavenly being be covering its face in that kind of environment? Anybody? Okay, very good. You guys are smart. They couldn't look at God. In fact, the Bible talks about God dwelling in inapproachable light, in which no man has seen nor will see. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 16. You can read that. No one sees God. <laughs> All right? It's, it's a law. Um, and I think it's a big beauty that in Christ, we have seen the face of God. Um, it's something that was a mystery in the Old Testament. You know, they looked forward to it. They said prayers about it. You know, if you look at Deuteronomy, there were prayers they prayed. And one of the prayers was amongst the Shema and all of that. They would pray a blessing. They would say, may his face shine upon you. Um, and that's really what they were looking forward to. A day when God's face would truly shine on them. In contrast to Moses, that he could only see the back. And we'll talk more about that a little bit more later on. But yeah, so think about this. The face covered. Then the other two, again, and he covers the feet. What do you, what do you think the significance of that is? Now, we're just spitballing here. It doesn't say exactly, but we can infer what could be happening. So why are the feet being covered? Who has an idea? Uh, didn't he have to wear a veil because his face was too bright? Yeah, Moses had to. That's after Moses saw the back of God. Even just seeing the back, still had to cover his face. Imagine the face, seeing the face of God. Um, all right, Olaide says holy ground. Yeah. What did you say, Lillian? Oh, Moses also covered his face almost all the time because he visited with God in the sanctuary. And so every time he came out of the sanctuary, his face was so bright, he covered it with right. a veil, even though he wasn't directly seeing him face to face. Mm -hmm. I mean, not face to face, but he wasn't seeing, seeing him as he did whenever um, he requested to see him. So even then he had to cover his face because of the right. brightness. Right, right. So, so Lydie is very, very spot on. So just similar to Moses' experience, you know, that ground where God is all, all of a sudden becomes holy ground. And so Moses has to respond to the holiness of that ground. Um, and I think it's just to show the earthliness of the being or the transcendence of God in contrast to every other creature. So they cover their feet because it's like, I, this is very, very precious. So I think that's the significance there as well. There could be more, but just think about the imagery here. There, there's seraphim and then each one of them, not just one, but several of them. And they just, just imagine it. It's hard for me to see what that looks like. And then Isaiah is in here, he's seeing all of this. And um, the remaining two wings, they used to fly. And then what do they say to each other? It says, one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, an average English speaker would not really get the gist here. It's like, okay, yeah, they said holy three times. That's cool. But there's more when you think about it. So in English language, we have our own way of expressing emotion or expressing gravity or importance of something, right? What do we have? What are the tools we have? Exclamation marks, um, you know, we even have expressions in our native languages, right? That like, ah, <laughs> and you know that something really serious is happening, right? Um, they had that too. So some people are saying emojis. You, you Gen Z people, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, cap good, capital letters, right? So there's a way we show emphasis or grand grandeur and, and splendor. And in, in the Old Testament, or let me specifically say in, in Hebrew language, especially, there are some things that just carry that weight when they are repeated. 
In fact, just something similar to that was in Jesus's ministry, even though what was more of like Greek and Aramaic. Um, but Jesus would say something like, verily, verily, I say unto you, basically saying, truly, truly, like, why didn't he just, just say it once, you know, or you see some scriptures in the Old Testament that have that repetition, like, whoa, 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 just to say it is the worst case of destruction ever, right? So when we talk about the holiness of God, just like we watched in that video, hi, wait, is that... Um, Oh my God, I forgot her name. It's Francine. Oh, Francine, yeah. 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 Okay. Funny, funny. That's your name on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Is that intentional? Yes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> let's get back to, to what we're studying. So three times we see the word holy used. And just like that video says, that's the only time we see the word holy I mean, an attribute of God, given that level of, you know, grandeur and splendor. Like, we don't say wrath, 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 or love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. We say holy, holy, holy. And that's powerful. That just talks about God having this attribute that is at the superlative degree, that the angels themselves are speaking loudly and talking to themselves that this is who God is. So this is just a, a dimension of God that, that, that consumes his very essence. So, you know, Isaiah is there and he's hearing this, he's seeing this. So there is sight, there is sound, there is smell, there is everything. But look, at, look at what he says next. The earth is full of his glory. That's what they're crying to each other. And then notice the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Just imagine this. There's light, there's sound, there's flight. There is, it is just so amazing. So I'm, I'm hoping that you guys have imagined this. I don't know if, because now I know that a lot of people, like when it comes to keeping your attention span, it's very, 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 very difficult these days. But I hope you had some time to like imagine what we just described here. So let's move forward and see what Isaiah does when he sees this overwhelming glory. So he sees the holiness of God in its grandeur, the set-apartedness of God, the separateness, the, the vastness and transcendence of God. And what do we see in verse 5? Here's his response. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Again, the language is a problem because... Woe is me just seems like, yeah, woe is me. But I don't think you get what woe means. Woe is um, basically saying destruction, the worst case of destruction. Like, I can't, I do not think about what Jesus said. Jesus was like a prophet himself. So he, well, not like a prophet. Jesus was a prophet, all right? And in, in doing that, he spoke a lot like the prophets of old too. So he would say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the this, blessed are the that. But he also, in contrast, said to people who deserved it, woe to the scribes and Pharisees. And that was not just like, you're doing bad, you could do better, you know, there's more for you, Get change your ways. No, that was doom is coming your way. Like it was forget it. There's, there's no way out of this kind of, that's the language. So think about the fact that a prophet normally is tasked with the responsibility of going out and telling whole nations, God is angry with you. Woe is you, right? That was their mission. But now Isaiah is saying it to himself. What did he see there? What happened? He just saw the holiness of God in 3D. <laughs> He just saw God in his fullness and his response was not, my guy, wow, you're so awesome. Or, wow, oh, I lift up my hands in worship. No, it was a realization of what he was and what was going to happen to him. That's so profound. Lillian, do you want to add to this too? I'm not sure if I'm going to end up going too far. Go ahead. Like, already I, like halfway. I have a lot to add. Okay. <laughs> Um, did you want me to explain why he's saying, whoa? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he sees God's holiness and he sees, yeah, he sees God's holiness and he says, woe unto me. And I'm sure we're all asking ourselves, like, why is he saying woe unto me? Isn't it, isn't it such a blessing to be able to see God? Isn't it what everyone wants to be able to be before God and see God and experience his glory? But the problem with that is that God's holiness exposes humans' massive imperfection. So even though Isaiah has been chosen as God's mouthpiece and he has the blessing of God to be a prophet and to be able to speak his words and to hear from God, which we know very few people in the Old Testament had that, um, had that blessing, he's still saying, woe unto me because God's holiness is just too much for humans to see. Um, if you think about when Moses, who is supposed to be the greatest prophet, asked to see God, he, God didn't let him see his face. I'm sure everyone knows this story already. Um, Moses asks God to see him, and God tells him, no, Moses, you can't see my face. Here, we have it here. Um, because whoever sees me will die. It says, no man will, shall see me and live. So um, what happens instead is God reveals his back. And even so, as we talked about earlier, the reflection of God's holiness was seen on Moses's face. And it was so bright that whenever he came back to the Israelite camp, everyone told him like, whoa, 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 you need to cover that up. Like we don't, we, that's too much for us to see, even though it was only the reflection of God's holiness from his back, not even from his face. And so we see how, if, if we're comparing ourselves to other people in the world, we can say like, okay, I'm not that bad of a person, right? Like what I do is like, everybody lies. Like, come on, I'm not that bad or everybody does this or I could be doing something worse. But whenever we compare ourselves to God, we see his, how set apart he is, how he's just a different class. And we can never truly compare ourselves to that because he is so holy. He is so set apart that it's just too much for us to see. And rather than being a blessing unto us, it then becomes a curse because we're not worthy to be in his presence in that way. That's, that's so profound. I mean, and this is, this is so, it, it's, it's everywhere in the scriptures. So even when Jesus comes on the scene, right? And he's with the disciples, he's preaching, he's doing all of these wonderful things. And then he, you know, turns to the disciples and says, hey, go, take, let's go in for, for, for catch. And Peter's like, master, we've toiled all day, we've done all this, like we've tried everything we can as fishermen. We're not just, you know, novices at this. We do this, this is our profession. And you're telling us to go back you know, with our boats into the deep and catch. Um, and, and he's like, it doesn't make sense, but because you said it will do it. And so they go, look at the response, very similar to Isaiah's response. When he, they respond in, in, in obedience, put their nets. The Bible says that they caught so much that their boats began to sink. <laughs> Think about that kind of catch. And then eventually brought it in. And, you know, most people today have the response that is just very unbiblical. I, I mean, I will we'll bring a balance to this, but when you see the grandeur of God, the, the power of God, the fact that he only said a word and that happened, what was Peter's response? He looked at Jesus and knelt down and said, go away from me. Don't come near me. <laughs> that's, that's big. And, and what this should really do to you is help you realize that when we talk about God, God is transcendent. Whenever you are in front of him, his perfect holiness will reveal your perfect imperfections. Like, for lack of a better way of putting that, like, the ex he just exposes the, the everything that needs to be 
taken out of use, exposed. And um, it's a beautiful, bitter experience, right? Because on one hand, it's like, yes, I want to see him. I want to see God. You know, that's our, that's our hope. We want to see him. But the reality is when we do see him, I can tell you for a fact, you're going to bow in, in, in awe. Because it's not it's not as big as the movies portray. It's not as big. It's it's not just as big as, um, you know, the best theater art, you know, presentation, puts it. It's bigger. It's way bigger. It's like the god of the universe. Think about it. The god who created not just you or the planet Earth or the this solar system we're in, but every galaxy that exists. And, and you realize that scientists are still discovering galaxies. They, they're getting tired. They're like, <laughs> you know, and the, it just keeps expanding. It just keeps expanding. And, and, you know, I think God gave that revelation to David because in one of his Psalms, he mentions that, that the, the expanse of the world keeps growing. You know, that's powerful. So if that God who is very big and powerful and all-knowing and all sovereign is with you <laughs> trust me that should change how you how you think how you live and i think this is so important because if we don't understand the holiness of god we we'll miss out on something very important that we need to have as a basis for everything else we're going to teach for the rest of this month because how would you live a holy life without having this very very important understanding because many of us don't get why there is a life to live. Let's let's continue that story a little bit and, and bring it up to where we need to go. Um, go back to Isaiah real quick. And chapter 6, and um, we stopped at verse 5. N notice the words of Isaiah. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Undone means I am I'm, I'm doomed. Like, I am... This is the end. Let me see if another translation helps. Falling apart. <laughs> yeah, I'm falling apart. This one says, I'm ruined. It's not even the best. Yeah, it's all over. I'm doomed. In, 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 in Yoruba, for those of us who know how to speak Yoruba, like something like that. That's really what he's saying. Like, I'm doomed. That's the end. And he just realized what he was in, in the view of a holy, righteous God. In fact, there's a book that was written. In fact, it's a book written by someone who was writing about a sermon that was preached by Jonathan Edwards. How many of you know Jonathan Edwards? He was a preacher and he, wrote, he, he preached a sermon and the title of that sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's a very... Okay, someone told me, that in Yoruba is Temi Bami, exactly. <laughs> and many of us who know what that is if you're like on IG, because there are a lot of like memes like that. But yeah, um, just think about this. You are um, under a sermon and you are hearing the kind of things that Jonathan Edwards was saying. And the truth is, what he was saying was very true. Sinners are in trouble because they might think they're okay. Like Lillian was saying, like if you compare yourself with the next person to you, you may do a lot better. Like, you, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. I, I, don't, I don't kill. I don't rape. I don't do stuff like that. But this person is worse than I am. But guess what? When you compare yourself with the holiest of holies, God himself, you just realize that even the smallest lie, even the smallest evil thought you had, is, is worth the, the punishment that God deems it. This is big stuff. Like you must first understand the holiness of God before you can understand anything else. If you're going to talk about the love of God, it starts with God's holiness. If you're going to talk about God's mercy, it has to start from God's holiness. Everything rises and falls on that topic, on this attribute. So what does he do in response? He says, I'm doomed. Everything is over. I'm a sinful man. And then what does he say? I have filthy lips. It's, I think for me, it's very profound that the first thing that he utters has to do with his mouth. That's profound. 
I think it's very similar to something Jesus said. Um, it's what comes out of a person, not what goes in. Um, and you read the book of James, there's a whole lot talking about how dangerous the mouth is, how it's like a rudder that turns the ship left and right and does a lot of bad things. Some of you know what I'm saying. You've said things that you can't take back, right? You've said them and they've gone. Words don't have the weight. You, you can't fix it. You can say a thousand sorries, but you said it, you know? And I, I, it's so interesting that Isaiah himself would call himself a sin, sinner, a sinful man, and the first thing he points to is his mouth. Um, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I wanted to add that the Bible talks about how um, out of the mouth comes the desires of your heart. So mm -hmm. what someone says describes the state of their heart and what they look like of what their heart looks like. And we, we speak our desires, we speak our, um, our internal thoughts and the less we have control of our tongue, the less we have control of our, um, of our, of our minds and of our thoughts. Um, and it, the, whenever our minds are defiled, that's what comes out of our mouths because that's all that we have and to be able to say. Right. That makes so much sense. So think about this. When he says that he has a filthy mouth, basically is what he's saying, and he lives amongst a people that also have filthy mouths. And he says, yet I have seen the king, which goes to what Lydia was saying. It was very important to know that it was in the year King Uzziah died because that was, he was a righteous king. And now we see the king of all kings who is more righteous than the best of the best kings that ever lived. And he says, now I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's go back to the NKJV, the Lord of hosts, right? The Lord of hosts. I think and it's- And then, uh -huh, go ahead, sorry. I think it's even more profound um, that he says he has unclean lips whenever you think about the fact that he was a prophet. So he, God used him as his mouthpiece. So he literally spoke the words of God on many, many, right. many occasions. And yet he still says he has unclean lips. And so that just how much more does everyone else have unclean lips who doesn't speak directly the words from God? Oof, that's, that's really good. Like, think, just think about that. Like the oracles of God, these, these prophets were God's oracles. Literally, they were speaking for God. And if someone who's speaking God's words is saying they have filthy lips, man, how much more everyone else. So that, that's a profound observation. Now, what does God do? And this is where I think we must bring that balance. Because see, we're not even going to be, we're not going to reduce the gravity of God's holiness. Um, you really need to understand that God's holiness is, it's going to make you melt. In, if you are being honest, it's going to just show your imperfections. You're going to show everything that is ungodly about you. And that's a good thing because God responds in mercy. And that's what we see in verse six, right? One of these seraphim that is doing all this covering and everything. Look at what he does. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me. That's Isaiah. Having in his hand a live coal. A live coal is a hot, fired up, charcoal for lack of you know just think about coal right when you do barbecue and stuff um red yeah hot. right red hot red hot exactly and so he takes it with the tongs um from the altar takes it and what does he do with it it says and he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged this is powerful so with just one act from God, all the things that Isaiah observed about his life was cleansed in one instant. That is powerful. But I think you should see the flow here. There is a realization, first of all, of the holiness of God. And then, by extension, the frailty of himself, his weakness, his, his lack of any holiness of any sort. And he pleads and says, this is who I am. This is what I deserve. And then God responds and says, 
here, I'm going to make you holy. Though you are seeing me be like scarlet, I will wash you white as snow. That's basically what happens. God cleanses his guilt. And then God calls him on a mission. What's the next thing? After cleansing him and purging him, he says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then what does Isaiah say? Now he's like, yeah, I, here I am. Send me. I'm ready to respond. And I think it's, it's the journey from brokenness to mission. And that's what God wants to do with everyone. I think you must first have a very good high view of God. All right. Very profound, high, heavy view. When you worship God, the first thing that should come to your name is exactly the words of Jesus. Our father, he's your father. Yes, he's in heaven. But what's the next thing? Hallowed. Hegios. Hallowed. Set apart is your name. You must think of God's holiness. You must see that as the most important thing when you deal with him. He's a loving father because he's holy. He's a merciful God because he's holy. He provides for you because he's holy. And when you have a very strong understanding of that, you see your weakness, but it doesn't leave you in despair. It, it, it brings you to hope. Like, yes, because he's a holy God and he went out of his way to show the love that he has for me in giving his own son. Now I have hope. My sin is cleansed. My, you know, every guilt is taken away. Then I can now respond and be a missionary. And when I say missionary, I don't mean like you're going to Tanzania and everywhere. I mean, I mean, as a Christian, you are doing his will and his purpose wherever he places you. That's so important. I want Lillian to just give some last words because we're already running out of time, but on this same topic. Yeah. Um, I think what you said is very profound and very true. And we see the same arc, the same story arc in the life of Paul and other apostles in the, in the New Testament. Um, and I think it's... Um, you see that, sorry, can you go to the previous verse? Sure. I think I had something to say about that. This one? Uh, I guess so. Um, so something that kind of stands out to me is that this coal is from the altar of God and the temple of God. And so we mm. can assume that this coal is holy and that it it must be very very hot because even this seraphim who is in the temple of god cannot touch it right and it's um god did not just say okay thanks for thanks for saying that you're a bad person like thanks for acknowledging that you're not good enough you, like don't don't worry about it it's fine god <laughs> there was there was a pain that came with the Man. with the forgiveness of sins and luckily we have jesus who took on all of that pain and all of that suffering for us mm. and um the holiness from the coal because it was in the temple of god then made hit made isaiah cleansed and holy so that he could go on and do god's work mm. that's so that's so powerful there's a verse that I wanted to, um, because Lillian thinks it's really good. So I'm going to put that verse before we round up here. It's in Proverbs chapter four. Um, and I think it's just a good reminder of um, the fact that um, God is holy and he wants us to live in holiness. We're going to delve into that in our next series of teachings. But look at what Proverbs says. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. It's the idea that someone is wicked and hates God, turns away from God, and they themselves don't even know what makes them stumble because they're in darkness. And God's light, God's holiness is the light that shows clearly what that is. And when the light of God's holiness it shined on a person, your response is very important. Your response is important. We see how Isaiah responds. We see how Paul, the apostle, responds when he sees that light that pushes him off. And he says, Lord, who are you? You know, And that's, should, that should be our response. Whenever we are 
acquainted or we see or we encounter the holiness of God. And, and see, it's not far-fetched. When you read the scriptures, you see the holiness of God. When you look at his creation, you see his holiness. When you look at people around you and you love them, you're seeing God's holiness. In fact, this is, this is the core of our lives on earth. Like we're supposed to dwell in God's holiness. And because we, un we understand and we experience it, we can then you know, spread that out. That's how it's designed to work. Um, so don't let anything take away this vast reality, this powerful revelation. God is holy. And by default, we are not. And so we need him to impute that holiness to us. And we thank God that in Christ Jesus, we have been declared holy, righteous, blameless. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Um, let's pray. I want you to just thank God wherever you are um, for his holiness. Thank you, Lord, because you are holy and I'm not. And you've declared me holy. And I'm thankful because it's a gift and I receive it happily, joyfully, just begin to thank him right now. Speak to him from your heart. Lord, you are holy, you are hallowed, you are exalted, you are far above, you are magnified, you are lifted up, you are transcendent, and we love it that way. We would have it no other way. Because if you are not holy, then you are not just. And if you are not just, things are not going to hold together. But you are faithful, you are holy, you are righteous. So we can believe and trust in you and hold on to you. But even more, we can trust in your provision. And we have trusted in your provision, provision of salvation in Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you so much. And we, we just consecrate ourselves right now we ask you to help us lord help us to to live lives that please you that yes we were once darkness now we are light we know that we've been changed our hearts has been renewed but lord we want to see that show up in our daily lives so help us god even as we grow in our knowledge of you in jesus mighty name amen Hey there, so we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmg live four that's the number four or you can look in the description and you will find the link to the website there we hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith <music>